Well, this is a series we've been in. It's all about heaven, and it has spawned a lot of questions. We've been fielding questions about heaven and our perspective and our thoughts and trying to get to some scriptural roots with it. Our small group leaders have been overjoyed and yet hindered because of this series about heaven. They've been wanting to get through lessons and material, and people will say, well, let's talk about that sermon last Sunday. What did that mean? And, and our, our Bible fellowship teachers have been trying to get through their lessons, and someone will stop and say, well, that's good and all, but what, let's talk about heaven for a second. And what, what, what was Matt talking about? We, we've already looked at, uh, in part, the best way we can, in an earthly perspective, what heaven's going to be like. And then we said, here's what we're going to do in heaven for all of eternity. And we try to put that in earthly perspective, which is just, just can't be done. And today, I want to talk about who is going to be in heaven. And I really think a, an easier way to answer that question is through the filter lens of Scripture and talk about who isn't going to be in heaven for just a second. The Bible gives us about 25 things, a list of about 25 things, 25 people who are not going to be in heaven. And I don't know if you were totally aware of that or not, but the Apostle Paul is told by God to warn the Corinthian church uh, with these words. Don't you know those who do wrong will not inherit God's kingdom. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's just a small sampling of the list that begins to compile the list as you get into scripture about all the people that won't be in heaven. And the scripture makes it pretty clear that there are people that are not going to be in heaven. And the truth is, the truth is, I think all of us in this room, we have at least broken one or two of those things on the list. Uh, whether it's sexual sin, or it's cheating people, or becoming greedy, or any of the other things that we just read in part there, uh, we have all uh, are guilty of uh, making the list. There's an old story that is told about a man who dies, he makes his way up to heaven and immediately finds judgment in front of God. And so this guy is in front of God and he thinks he's got his whole life squared away and God says, let me tell you how this works. Uh, I don't think your preachers told you quite about this part, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, what are the things or the reasons why you should be into heaven? And it's going to be in a hundred point system. And as soon as you reach a hundred points, and I'll give you a couple tries and then we'll, I'll let you in, just have to reach a hundred points. He, he says, okay. God says, now you just tell me some of the best things you've ever done in life, and, and we'll, we'll see if you get there. The guy says, well, you know, probably one of my greatest accomplishments, I've been married for 50 years to the same woman. I never cheated, never even thought about another woman in an adulterous way. I mean, certainly that's worth something. God says, oh, that's, that's great, that's terrific. You've honored the covenant of marriage and the institution that I set up, that's, that's three points. <laughs> the guy says, three points? I mean, that seems like a pretty big one to me. Okay, 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 okay. Well, I've, I've never really missed a Sunday service. I've, I've, I've taught classes at church. I've, I've been consistent in my faith, and, and I've also led people to see who you are and, and to be saved, and God says, that's, that's wonderful. I'm so thankful that you spread the word, and you were a part of the great commission of Jesus Christ, and thank you for doing that. That's, that's got to be worth two points. God says, two points. God says, what else have you done? 
Guy says, okay, he's thinking through, he's thinking through. He says, well, you know, when, when I was in my 20s, I had all this energy, and I started this food kitchen in the inner city and helped to develop that, and it was for veterans, and it was for people that just just didn't have a home, the homeless, and, and it really got going, and then I handed it over to somebody else because I was just getting tired and bogged down by it, but I helped to establish that, and God says, that's wonderful. That is so good that you went out and you helped the poor, and you were, you were showing people my love. That, that's, that's worth two points. The guy says, two points. He said, geez, at this rate, I'm going to have to rely on, on God's grace. God says, welcome to heaven. You know, that story in part just shows us a little bit about what it's like. I, there's no merit that we can make. There is nothing we can do to get ourselves into a position where God says, you're accepted. You've done everything right. You've given enough to the church. You've, you've helped do the soup kitchen. You've done everything correct because we are on all ways sinners who are in need of God's grace. So who won't be there? Well, if we're just working on our own devices and merits, none of us will be there. But thank goodness for Jesus Christ in his unmatched grace that we can experience when we receive him. So the Apostle Paul, in that warning to the Corinthians, continues, and here's how he concludes. He says, and some of you were once like that. Some of you used to be cheaters. Some of you used to be homosexuals. Some of you used to be abusive. Some of you used to be drunkards, but you're different now because you receive God's grace. You receive Jesus Christ. See, Jesus changes us. We don't continue to do those sins. We repent and walk away from those sins. And it says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here's the answer to the question. Who will be in heaven? Let me, let me give you the biblical answer. Who will be in heaven? Only those sinners who have accepted Jesus Christ for salvation. That's who will be in heaven. Those that have grabbed hold of the grace of Jesus Christ, not looking to their own merit, but who totally rely on Jesus for their salvation and recognize that without Jesus and without his shed blood, they don't have a chance in ever making it because they'll never have enough points that will add up to get in. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it makes it pretty clear. It tells us in heaven, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And let me tell you how you get in the Lamb's book of life, by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and living for Him. Having complete dependency on Jesus Christ for your salvation and not depending on anything else, but only depending on Jesus Christ. Okay, now that's the general answer to the question, who's going to be in heaven? But I want to make it more personable. I want to make it more specific because there are so many questions i want to try to answer some of the questions today that have been coming out of these groups and out of these teaching times and and the things that we've been doing together and and just all these little questions that we've been having because one of the stories that jesus tells he definitely equates heaven with a wedding and a banquet uh it seems to me that there are times when families get together. There are two times in particular, that's weddings and funerals. And if you're like my family, someone's got to die or get married until you see relatives sometimes. And what Jesus does is he equates this reunion in heaven, not with a funeral, thank goodness. He equates it with, with, with a wedding. And he says, we're going to have a wedding banquet up there. And there's going to be this great reunion, and, and there's going to be family, and there's going to be friends, and there's going to be food, and weddings are fun. So let me just look at the wedding table for a minute, and, and let me just show you how I envision, in a sense, heaven in, in one picture, in one way. You see these seats here. 
that are around the table. Let me, let me tell you who will be seated at these seats at the banquet of heaven. Okay, seated around this table um, are my grandparents. My, my, my grandpa and grandma Clore. Uh, they have like these classic grandparent names too. Uh, my grandfather's name was Cleve Clifton Clore. That's a good name. My grandmother's name, Mabel Ruth Clore. She went, she went by Ruth. Now, I never met, I never met, I never met Cleve. Cleve died before I was born of lung cancer. Um, friends, just because you smoke, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. It's just going to get you to heaven a lot quicker, is what, what Cleve was proven there. And my grandmother, she died when I was in college in her 80s, and, and they both trusted Jesus Christ so with their life. Uh, both of them will have a seat in heaven, not because of what they've done or not because of their merits, but because they totally depended on Jesus Christ as their Savior. They love Christ, and they love, they love Christ's bride, the church. They helped to establish uh, Eastside Christian Church, where I was brought up and raised, a church of about 5,000 now that has been ministering strong uh, in, in Southern California and Orange County. And, and they, were, they were the starts of that. And uh, they loved the Lord. Now, they didn't have everything perfect in life, but again, they had Jesus Christ as their hope and their, then their salvation. It should be a great first reunion to meet Grandpa Cleve. And it's going to be a great reunion uh, to meet Grandma Ruth again. But their presence at this table brings up a whole lot of questions that I have and maybe some questions that you might have too. Like one question is, what will they look like in heaven? Because all I know Cleve by are these pictures uh, that we have around our house, and most of them are where he's balding and where he's older. Um, those two pictures that you saw on the screen there, those are, those are some rare pictures of my grandparents that, that uh, I, I just don't really get to see very often. And, and what will they look like in heaven? I, I knew my grandmother when she was way past the prime of her life. I mean, will they be old and will they be wrinkled? Will they have gray hair? Will, will Cleve be balding? Will, will my grandmother be in her 80s like I knew her best? Or will they be in their 20s? Or will they be on a, on a, in an age that they've decided that was best for them, like maybe somewhere in their 30s? Or will they have this body that we know of them to have that has been worn down by work and by the curse of sin? Will they have the body that they died in like some of us picture our loved ones in heaven to have? Well, you know what I think? I think it'd be a cruel, a cruel thing for God to do for us to have our, our death bodies in heaven. And I think it would be cruel just to say, well, you're going to be uh, a body like you were when you were 30 because, you know, none of us had the greatest of bodies at 30. Or maybe even 20 or 18, you'd say, well, you know what? I wasn't happy with the way I looked in 18. I wasn't, way, I wasn't happy with the way I looked at, in the age of 20. Well, let's go to, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's get an idea, because Paul gives us an idea of what we're going to look like in heaven. Well, the apostle Paul, he tries to help us understand this, but he's putting it in earthly terms because he's trying to describe a heavenly perspective. And he's saying, guys, I know you're just not going to understand it, but let me try to put it in a, in a way in which we can best understand it. Because God said about our bodies that we're under a curse. We're going to come from dust, we came from dust, and to dust we're going to return. So you know what that tells me about the flesh that we wear? It's not going to be around any longer. So the mat that you see today will not be the mat that you see in heaven. This will be back to dust. So here's the question, what will we look like in heaven? Here's the answer, are you ready for the answer? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 37 and following. Paul says, when you sow, you do not just plant the body that will be. So death even gives us a good representation of this. We're being buried in the ground. But just a seed, perhaps, 
of, what, of, of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as it has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it his own body. And so he starts talking about the idea of putting seed into the ground and what comes up. And if you've ever seen seed in the ground and what comes up, it's completely different. For example, if you've ever been to like Redwood National Forest in Northern California and you've seen the great mighty redwoods, you'll find out that they start with just a small seedling, but yet they become these enormous giant trees. What's being planted in the ground was made for the ground. It goes into the ground, dies in the ground, and rises something new and completely different, but perfect for its environment. And Paul says, that's going to happen with us. This seed of human flesh is going to be planted in the ground, so to speak, and we're going to rise with what's something that is exactly perfect for the environment of heaven that God chooses for us. And I know a lot of you are saying, but what does that look like? Is that six arms? Is that wings? Is that a halo? I say, I don't have a clue, but let me go blow your mind for a minute. And sometime this week, read Ezekiel chapter 10. And you look at the vision that Ezekiel has, and you just study the cherubs for a moment that are found within that scripture, your mind's going to be blown. That guy has four faces and wheels for feet. I have no idea what we're going to look like in heaven. All I know is this. It's going to be perfect, and it's going to be exactly what we need for the environment that we're going to be in. Good answer? Which brings up more questions for me. Like the question this, how am I going to recognize Cleve? If we're in a new body and Grandma is in a new body, how am I going to re- recognize Grandma, Grandma Ruth and Grandpa Cleve? One thing's for sure is the Bible tells us we're going to keep our personality, which is good. Personality is something that is a trait that's given to you by God. Now, sin has ruined the personality, and not everybody likes me. I know you'll find that hard to believe, but not everybody likes me. But those personality traits that are bad or sinful will be removed, and and one day everybody will love me, which is great. Everybody will love you because our personality will be in perfect form. God's given us that personality. No one has a personality like yours. God's given us that. There are two stories that back this up, that our personality will help to be a recognition of us. Because I don't think we're wearing name tags in heaven. I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to have a perfect mind. We won't have to be like, your name is Steve. Nice to meet you again, Steve. It's not going to be like that. We're going to be able to recognize one another. Here's the first story in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells about a guy named Lazarus and, a, and about a guy who's just described as a rich man and they both recognize each other in heaven. They knew each other on earth and then they recognize each other too in the afterlife. They recognize one another, but they also recognize a figure that they've never met before, an Old Testament guy by the name of Abraham. So there's this recognition of one another. How that happens, I would just assume it comes through personality, and I would just assume since we're in a perfect state, we understand one another in a very perfect way. There's another story found in both Matthew and in Luke's gospel. That's the story of the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples head out with Jesus and they see this miraculous thing unfold. They see kind of a vision of heaven and there's um, Elijah and there's Moses and they're on this mountain and Jesus is there and they're talking one-on-one and while there's no dialogue that's given, it's clear that those disciples who were Jesus recognize these Old Testament figures even though they've never seen a painting of these guys, even though these guys lived 100 plus thousand years before their time, they recognize them immediately. They knew their personality. They recognized who these guys were at the very inner of who they were. They were known, not just seen. Now, I can't say for sure what the identifying factors are going to be with my grandparents. But one thing I can be rest assured of is that like what 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, verse 12 says, 
Because we're told that on earth, we see things imperfectly. On earth, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Like puzzling, like trying to put together pieces of a puzzle. We, we know the idea, you ever played the puzzle game at a sporting event? Like guess the player and it comes in shapes and puzzles and you try to figure it out? The Bible says on earth, this, it's like trying to figure out a puzzle. But, but then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. Like I'll know them completely. Not just some parts, some stories, some pictures. Uh, I remember when my grandmother didn't know. It will be, I'll know them perfectly, intimately. And it says, all that I know is partial and complete on this side of, of, of life. All I know is partial and complete in this body. Then I'll know, check this out, then I'll know everything completely. I'll know everyone completely. I'll know my wife better in heaven than I knew her here on earth. I'll know you better in heaven than I ever knew you on earth. And I'll know the people I've never met better, of course, than I ever did on earth, just as God now knows me completely. I'm gonna know people like God knows people. Do you catch that? That's the identity. God knows the amount of hairs on our head. We're gonna know people inside and out, and it's gonna be perfect. You're not gonna be ashamed to be known that way, which is wonderful. You're not gonna be ashamed to be known in such a way. We're gonna know each other like that. This is gonna be amazing harmony in heaven. This seat around the table, my grandparents who love the Lord and, and, and love Christ. Uh, this seat's gotta be, this, this seat's be for my dad. Um, those of you that never met my dad, I, I wish, you could, wish you could have met him. Uh, he had the greatest sense of humor. He had the most unorthodox way of, of teaching the Bible. He had some of the, the craziest ways of loving people and a great wit and charm. And, and uh, there's just so many stories that I, I wish I could tell you about my dad. And I can't re- wait for the reunion uh, around, around the table and to meet with him again. I can't wait for that. Now, my assurance that my dad's in heaven is totally based on his relationship with Jesus again, not because of the things that he did or because later in life he went from an occupation to um, a vocation, a ministry, or it had nothing to do with what he did. It has everything to do with Christ being the Lord of his life and him surrendering himself to Jesus as his Savior. And I have this assurance, but you know what? In my family, I don't have that same assurance with everybody that carries the same blood or last name as me. There are, there are some family members that I am near confident. I am just as confident as, I, as my dad is in heaven that I have some family members that I'm just as near confident are not in heaven. Which brings up to me, if there's this awesome reunion with my dad in heaven, um, will we enjoy heaven if the people we love are not there? That's a tough question. If your spouse is not a believer, how are you going to enjoy heaven when you're there and they're not? Or a son or a daughter or a best friend? I mean, can we really enjoy heaven even though a loved one? Heaven is, if, if heaven is anything, heaven is all about reunion. Reunion with God, reunion with loved ones that had loved the Lord. Let me tell you, in hell, there is no reunion. There's not a chance of it. I mean, the Bible makes it pretty plain and pretty clear. There's no party in, in hell. 
even though country western singers like to sing about it, that they're partying in hell and they're ready for it, or, or even though you'd like to think that you're going to party in hell, there, there's no such thing. It's just complete isolation and loneliness. It's the exact opposite of heaven. So are we going to be able to enjoy this heavenly splendor when we maybe have a recollection that there are loved ones who we just love passionately on earth that just didn't make it to heaven? You know, some people think, some people honestly think that when we're in heaven, we won't have any kind of thought about those who are in hell. Like, it'll just be this memory that's just been deleted, like men in black. You don't remember that anymore. Okay, fine. I'll just go on living in heaven like someone never existed. But I don't think that's what the Bible ever really gets at. If you get into Revelation 21, this is some speculation here, obviously, on my part. But when you get in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible talks about Jesus coming, and it says he will wipe away the tears that doesn't mean you won't have tears what does it mean what does it mean there will be some tears shed friends i don't know if that's because of joy where i'm meeting jesus face to face i don't know if it's because looking back you realize oh my loved one didn't make it and i'm wiping away the tears but i do know this once the tears are wiped it goes to joy i don't know if we're gonna have this moment where we say oh this is terrible i in one way say i don't think we are I think when we come face to face with Jesus, when we come face to face with God, we're going to see some things like we never saw on earth before, like the backside of a tapestry, how it's all been woven together to make a perfect picture. We're going to see how God has worked that needle in so many people's lives and how they just didn't accept the love that was shown to them. And time and time again, we're going to see, like in the life of a spouse that that's not there, or in the life of a child that just rejected God over and over again. We're going to see how desperately God tried to make amends with them, and they just kept pushing God away. And maybe more or less will be saddened because of the choices they've made, but understanding how far God's love went for them. And I don't know the next part, how you live in heaven, if you know someone is in hell or if you don't. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't really get clear into that. One thing I do know for sure, the Bible talks about heaven and those who are in heaven as having joy and happiness and it is uh, unexplainable. So I don't think you can have recollections of those who are in hell, especially loved ones, and be able to have joy and be able to have happiness and be able to have this great unexplainable zeal when you know something like that's going on in hell. Uh, I think the only thing we can do here is fall back into the arms of God and trust what God is saying, that heaven's going to be a perfect place and we're going to be so enamored by his love and his love for one another and we're going to see exactly how much God loved those that, that pushed away his love and, and it's all going to make sense to us. And I think on this part, on this question, friends, we're going to have to trust what God is doing and what he's up to. Can I move to a lighter subject for a minute? A much lighter question is that, that some people have is, uh, you see the dog bowl over here? Are animals going to be in heaven? Uh, it's a dog bowl, not a cat bowl, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I had this dog growing up. His name was Buckwheat. We named him Buckwheat. Uh, we called him Bucky for short. He was a terror of a dog. Uh, if you were bit by Buck, Bucky uh, and shed blood, you were immediate family. Uh, you, were, you were immediately claimed as a close friend because one of the initiations of probably walking into the Merrill household consistently was being bit by the dog. That dog had some demon-like qualities to him. And if I, if I die and I see buckwheat running towards me, I'm in trouble because I'm not where I think I am. 
Uh, one thing I do know for sure is this, that when John talks about heaven in the book of Revelation, he has this glimpse of heaven, he sees animals. He sees horses. Jesus is riding a horse, right? He sees lions. And I just have to assume, just because he didn't mention llamas, that probably llamas are there, even though he didn't mention them. I don't think snakes are going to be there. And honestly, I, I truly believe this. They've been cursed. God had cursed Satan in that way. He had cursed that animal group. I don't know why. I just don't think they'll be there. It's a representation of evil. Um, but animals? Yeah. I think animals will be there. Now, you have to remember, though, what God says to the animals at the beginning of creation. Because I don't think all animals are going to be there. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, God says to the animals that have shed blood or have become um, a nuisance to humanity, these words. Did you know God talked to the animals? <laughs> Here's what he says. I will demand an account from every animal. Please do not equate that. I, animal lovers, please do not equate that, that with your dog has a soul, okay? The Bible never tells us dogs have souls. Animals do not have souls. They don't have a recognition of what sin does to their body. They don't know that they need Jesus as a Savior. They don't know those things. They're going to be held account for what they're doing. So do all dogs go to heaven? Most, but not buckwheat, okay? I mean, that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying, are you going to see your pet in heaven? Yeah, probably you'll see your, I don't know, maybe you'll see your pet in heaven. Was he a good dog? Did he shed blood? I don't know. They're going to be held to an account. Do you get this? They're going to be held to, so is Fido going to be in heaven with you? Yes, but is he going to be your pet? Let me, let me put it like this. Since we don't have to have dominion in heaven, since we don't have to have control, because there'll be perfect harmony of animals, Fido probably won't be your pet. But will you be walking across the fields one day and see Fido running and playing in the grass with other dogs? Yeah, and you'll say, oh, that's Fido, this is great, and you'll get to love on that dog? Probably. I don't know, I'm just making stuff up here. I, I don't know. <laughs> I hope so, right? This is like hopeful stuff. I hope so. But what I know is this. There's not, we're not going to have dominion over these animals, so don't think that Fido is going to be next to you and you're going to be controlling Fido because you won't need to control or care for Fido anymore. Because God controls and cares for Fido in a perfect world. The only reason why you do that today is because God puts you in charge of Fido at the beginning of creation. Does that make some sense? I hope it does. I hope you're beginning to see how heaven begins to unfold and, and how God is becoming the provider and caretaker for us and for all of his creation. And if some of you are wondering, okay, I can't believe animals are in heaven. John the Revelator says himself, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and in the sea, and all of them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. Friends, we might hear for the first time a dog or cat talk. I have no idea. Crazier things, crazier things could happen. So, that seat. Uh, that seat is an interesting seat uh, at the other end of the table. This is uh, where the baby sits. Um, uh, my mom had a miscarriage, and, and our family of, family of four could have been a family of five. And sometimes I think about that, that brother or sister that could have been. And uh, I know my tears are shared here because you've gone through that. And will that brother or sister of mine in heaven, my question is, 
Will it be sitting in a baby seat or in a chair? Will he be in an infant stage, an embryotic stage? If a parent's lost a child at a young age of five, will that child be five years old? How will that child be to us? Let me carefully, uh, the best way I can, handle this. Because over the centuries, there's been like a variety of answers. And I think some of them have been there to pacify parents that have been hurting uh, during the loss of a child. Some of them just don't even don't even make sense uh, when you put it into biblical terms. Like for instance, eternity means the absence of time. We don't know anything about this because our whole life is revolving around a clock, revolving around the tick time. We don't know what this is like, but we do know about aging. But in heaven, there'll be no aging. In heaven, there'll be no time. So that means a child who is five, is he destined to stay always five if they died at five? Does that mean a baby that was was never given the chance to, to mature into adulthood or mature in personality, they remain in infant state? Again, I think you go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and you look at how God answers that question through the Apostle Paul. I, I uh, I, th- I think we're all be given bodies that are perfect for heaven. And so when we ask the question, are, are infants in heaven? My, my answer is twofold. Yes, infants are in heaven because your infant is in heaven. My, 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 my brother or sister is in heaven. Now, are they in an infant state? My answer is no, they're not in an infant state. They're in a state that is perfect for them. They're a full maturity of personality. Full maturity of personality and full maturity of whatever heavenly body it is that God gives to us. But I love the way that Jonathan Edwards, an old theologian, puts it into helping us uh, or parents that have lost young ones to understand what heaven is like. Here's what Jonathan Edwards would tell those parents that lost uh, children uh, before the prime of their life. He would say these words. Heaven will be full of children, even if we look like adults. He said, what we love about children, their joy, exuberance, curiosity, and laughter, well, we'll all be childlike in those ways. So imagine the curiosity and the love for life and the zest for it that you had as a kid and the energy of it that you had a kid. God, uh, Jonathan Edwards is saying, you magnify that. That's what heaven's going to be like, but not just for your child, but for all of us because we're going to be in that splendor, amazement, discovery mode of life all the time and we'll be brothers and sisters together. Now, a bigger question around this table is the question I have is, will we be family? Will we be family? Will there be a married family up there? Will we be together? Another question I have is, will Kelly and I be married in heaven? Will my grandparents be married in heaven? Will my, my mom and dad reunite and be married in heaven? Which is a great question because a lot of us have it. A lot of us have a misunderstanding of the answer though because Jesus has a very clear answer for us. Some Some Pharisees, some religious leaders come up to Jesus and they try to trick Jesus and they say, Jesus, hey, uh, what are you going to do with a woman who is married to a man and it's all right, it's all lawful, and then that man dies and then she remarries and then that man dies and up to seven times that woman remarries and her husband dies. Who's she going to be married to when all this boils down and we get into heaven? That's a good question, right? 
That's a good question. Some of you are in that position. I mean, you say, yeah, who am I going to be married to? I mean, I was married once, twice on earth, and what, how's that going to work out? Jesus. Jesus has an awesome answer. Here's what Jesus says. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So what's Jesus clearly, clearly saying? He's saying the institution of marriage is absolved. It's no longer there. We don't need a helpmate anymore. But there'll still be, friends, listen, there's still going to be intimacy amongst people that we know and recognize. There's still going to be a personal knowledge of one another. But marriage, Jesus clearly says, you don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about marriage. I mean, literally, we're going to be a family, but not the Merrill family. We're going to be a bigger family, a better family with more brothers and more sisters and, and more people that we can connect with and where the table can expand and, and there won't be just family cliques or family circles. It will be the family of God that is uniquely put together and we're going to meet brothers and sisters that we never knew on earth and we're going to know them in a very detailed way. Listen to how John explains it in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We're children of God, and what we will be, brothers and sisters, hasn't really been made known yet to us. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, meaning perfect, for we shall see Him as He is. God the Father, we are brothers and sisters, knowing one another as family. Friends, we have no idea what this is like. We try to pretend like we know what it's like on Sunday mornings when people come up and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, and we shake each other's hand, we talk about the weather. Heaven's going to be detailed intimacy of, I know exactly who you are, and I love who you are, and I want to sit down, and I want to talk to you for a couple thousand years here around the table. So let's go back to the buffet because we got some time to talk. This seat on the end, this is the seat of a king, Jesus I mean, can you imagine the day when we actually get to sit at the table with Jesus and, and, and he's feeding scraps to the dog and we're talking and we're, he's telling stories and, and he's telling us all about how he had us in mind and how he planned things out and we get to say, I had no idea. He gets to tell us about the experience of walking on earth and, and coming from the heavens to the earth and, and he gets to detail for us his great love for us and humanity and we get to ask him questions. Can you imagine for the first time Hearing his voice. What's his voice sound like? Or, or touching his hands. Or giving you a big bear hug and welcome you to the table. It's going to be an amazing moment. Amazing moment for us. You may wonder what this seat is. This is your seat. At least I hope it is. This is the seat that Jesus Christ has left open for anyone that accepts him and receives him. God has planned a place at the table. He doesn't hate you. He's not trying to chastise you or hurt you or make you suffer. He's not pushing you away. As a matter of fact, if anybody's walking away from God, it's you. And he welcomes you at this table. And the Bible says quit relying on your own merits to be saved and start trusting in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians. He puts it like this. He says, For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. 
And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. And so this chair sits as a gift. A gift to you that says, trust Christ. Trust Jesus as Savior. Trust Him as Lord. And find a place at this table, this banquet that God has prepared in us in advance. A place in heaven. Friends, I want you to be there. God wants you to be there. And He's done everything He can to show you His love. Today, you have the opportunity to accept this seat that's been reserved for you in heaven by accepting Jesus Christ, God's free gift to us.